Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. How excited you are to be in church this morning. Amen. You may be seated. If you would go with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12. And I would also like for you to find in your Bible, Revelations, chapter 2. We're going to be reading two different texts this morning. And I hope uh, that with the Lord's help, I can tie them together. I spoke earlier of, of things that God has been dealing me dealing with me about lately so strongly and and what I'm learning that he is not just expecting us to live for him there's more to life than just living for God what God is desiring not only of the church international but what he's desiring of Hatchbend Apostolic Church is that we seek him passionately God's, there's a lot of people that pray. God's not just looking for prayer. He's looking for passionate prayer. He's not just looking for somebody to be part of the kingdom. But what he's desiring from the very depths of his bosom is for us to be kingdom-minded. And when we can begin to understand that, when we can begin to see people and, and see the kingdom as God sees things, then we can understand what his mission and what our mission and what our goal is. See, I could take a poll or a, a census this morning and nobody, nobody would agree that they would settle for being mediocre. Right? No, nobody, your home, your job, whatever, your relationship, whatever it is, you want to do it the best that you can and be the best you can be at it. And living for God is no different. He wants us to be the best we can be and live up to our fullest potential. And so this morning as we uh, take our text from the book of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 28, and we'll read down through verse 30. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all. And Jesus answered the, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now, if I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, what is that going to take for me to do that? It's going to take passion. 
You've got to have a passion for Jesus Christ. And I, I want to talk to us for just a, for the next little while about protecting our passion. Protecting our passion. What is passion? I read a quote just yesterday from a, some of Sister Tenney's writings, and she summed it up uh, very simple for me, is that passion is an intense desire. That's, that's all it is. It's just a desire to do something and do it the best of your ability. And why is passion so important? And we know, if, as we've read Mark this morning, that Jesus Christ is expecting us to love him with everything that we have. And now if you'll go with me to the book of Revelations, chapter 2. John is on the island, and through the Holy Ghost and, and, and through the vision and through the eyes of God, he's beginning to write some things. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, until the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. God is telling John, write this. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And don't be confused by that. When he talks about the seven golden candlesticks, he's just referring to the seven churches. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and, and hast borne and hast patient and for my name's sake hast labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, now this is God. This is God. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and Repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. These first three chapters of Revelations, if you're familiar with them, the Apostle John is having a vision from God, and he sees Jesus walking in the midst of these New Testament churches of Asia. Jesus appears among the churches. He begins to judge them according, not, not just bad deeds, but Jesus is judging them according to their good deeds. He's commending them for what they have been doing right. And these seven churches were not just a figment of John's imagination, but these were real churches in real localities. These were real people that John's talking about here. You know, he's talking about the churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea and so on, but, but John hears God's voice speaking, and it's to these particular churches. Not, not only to these particular churches, but, but this writing that, that, that John is proclaiming here, it was going to... It was going to be elevated throughout history and time up to this day. See, I, I, these words were not just for them. They're for us today. And it's, it's, it's advice, it's encouragement, it's commandments, and it's warnings to us today. And that's why we can't discount the Word of God as this was something that was written way back long ago, and it was for them. This Word of God is for us. That's why it... It has been protected down through the years and many things have come against it and many things have tried to, tried to destroy it. But the word of God stands and it stands because it's for us. But, but Jesus appears among these churches and, and John's hearing the voice and Jesus begins his judgments by, 
by listing the many good things about these churches, the, the things that bless him. And he compliments these churches, but he also sees several things in these seven churches that grieves him deeply. And he issues a warning, but the, the warning I want to focus on today is, is this church at Ephesus. His first message is to the Christians at Ephesus, a church that was founded on a godly teaching of Paul. We've got to remember that Paul was guiding these individuals, and they had learned a lot for Paul, but, but Jesus said, nevertheless, I, I've got something against you. There's something that's wrong, and if we don't fix this, you're not going to make it. And when Jesus uses the word first love, he isn't speaking he isn't speaking about an immature love like when we first received the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, when we first was saved, we, we was excited, we was exhilarated, but we really didn't understand the meaning of an intense relationship with God. We didn't know what it was going to be like to walk day in and day out with God. It's, it's no different in our personal relationship. You know, I can remember on an August morning in 1987, walking down the aisle of a school and around this corner come this shining light and what shone upon this beautiful woman and I, I knew then that I was in love but I had no idea what love would be until some 25 years later and now what we experience is nothing compared to that first day. And what we experience on the day that God fills us with His Spirit is wonderful and it's great and it's necessary. But that doesn't hold, forgive this phrase, that doesn't hold a candle to what, to what God is really wanting to take us to. And that's a relationship beyond our furthest imagination and what He can do in our lives. So here's this, this church and God speaking to them and He's talking about this exclusive love. He's saying... I once occupied the first place in your life. At one time, I, was, I consumed you. You could do nothing. You could go nowhere. You could talk to no one without my name being on your lips. You, I was constantly on your mind, and, and I, I ruled your life. And, and God's saying, so, so what is happening? You've allowed other things to take my place. And this morning, I want you to hear me. Please understand me. God's not talking about the state of backsliding here. God's not talking about the state of sinning. He, he's talking to a Holy Ghost filled, on fire church that has found themselves so busy and so consumed with life and things of life that they've allowed things to take precedence in their life before God. And we would have to go back. If you want to know what this church was like, if you want to know what these Ephesians people was like, we would have to go back to the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 1 where Paul, and I, I won't read it all, but I'll just, I'm going to touch on some things that what Paul said about them. He said, you're faithful in Christ. You're blessed. You have blessings in heavenly places. You're, you're chosen. You're predestinated uh, according to the good pleasure of His will. He went on to say that you're sealed with a Holy Spirit of promise. You have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge. These Christians of Ephesus had it going on. Paul calls them Christ workmanship. So we can conclude that these people were blessed. They, they were holy. In the book of Revelations, Jesus also compliments them. He says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know your labor. If, if, 
if I could break it down today in a better way that we can understand it, Jesus says, in other words, I know all the good things you've been doing. You patiently labor for me without complaining. You'll do anything for others. You teach Sunday school. You're involved in outreach. You're involved in inreach. You show up for church work days. You try to help the pastor and first lady instead of hindering them. But, but you're diligent. You're diligent in your good works, and that's commendable. I'm proud of you for that. But Jesus continues, and he says, you hate evil. You, you hate those who bear evil. He says you hate sin with a passion. You don't tolerate it in your life, in your home, or in church. You got standards, and I'm proud of you. Jesus also noted that you're rooted and grounded in teaching, and you haven't been tossed about with all the teachings of the flesh. You're able to rightly judge false doctrines. You expose them as liars. But he said, this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In other words, you're not following. Uh, the Nicolaitans was following a, a, an ordained minister named Nicholas, who teach living an unrestrained life. Jesus said, you've rejected all this. And, and you've, you've been faithful to me and you stand up to holiness and, and you cling to righteousness. But it, and it quickly becomes evidence, evident in this passage that the Ephesians, they're not just a bunch of lukewarm saints. As I said earlier, the, these people are on fire for God. They are what you and I would deem as a great church. And if I may boldly so say so this morning without arrogance, they would be a church like Hatchbin Apostolic Church. I, I, I can say that we could compare ourselves to them. A church that, that, that loved people. We love doing things for God and the kingdom of God. But Jesus points out something here. And it's something that, that we have to take note of. He says, I see everything. I see your Hatred of sin, I see your love for truth, I see your righteous courage, yet somehow, somehow in all your labors, you've allowed your first love to wither. Your affection for me is dying. Nevertheless, he said, I, I have this against you, that you, you've left, you've left your first love. Now, I would like to think this morning that I'm an Ephesians-type Christian. I feel like I'm faithful laborer. I want to believe that I suffer for his name's sake, what little bit of suffering that is. I like to think that my good works glorify him, and I do my best to practice righteous living, and I feel like that I'm sealed with God. But, but when I read of Jesus walking among these, these well-taught believers as the Ephesians, and he's telling them, I, I, I have something against you. Sister Boyd, it just doesn't just doesn't prick my heart. But it, it tears my heart up, and it, it's something that's been consuming me to think that here is a church, here is a people that's doing everything the right way. But in doing the right things, in doing what God has commanded, they've allowed the most important thing to slip in the back seat, if you will, to slip into to second place. And, and I believe today that this warning... It's not just for the Ephesians. But when God was proclaiming this through the voice of John, he was saying, this is for all, all my generations to come. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You've got to walk with diligence. And simply put, the Lord is telling us, it's not enough that you care. It's not enough that you give. 
It's not enough that you're a diligent service who, who preaches against sin and preaches truth. It's not enough that you're moral and righteous and upright. That, that's just part of taking up the cross. That's part of this daily walk. And, and Jesus said, you can do all these things in my name, but if your affection while you're doing these good deeds, if your affection for me doesn't increase, if our love doesn't intimately grow day in and day out, you're headed in the wrong direction and something's wrong and we got to stop the train and get off and fix it or we're going to derail. Consider David's words here. He said in the 73rd Psalm, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. David is saying there is no one, no one that I love like the Lord. He takes first place in my life. He, he writes in the 63rd Psalm, Oh God, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And I believe that in this last hour, and make no mistake about it, we are in the last hour. Jesus, John spoke of Jesus, if I may use this elementary illustration, John spoke of Jesus returning on a white horse. And I think the white horse is tied up to the rail and he's about to be saddled. And we've got to be prepared. And we've got to make sure that every day, everything we do, and he's the center of it. And it's easy for us to respond, well, what's so serious about this matter of passion and protecting this passion? And, you know, maybe I'm not as intense as I once was for the Lord. I'm, I'm more dignified now than, than I used to be. I, I, don't, I don't let the bobby pins fly out of my hair and I don't tear my tie loose at church anymore. But what's, what's, so, what's so important that I've, I've, I may have slacked off a little bit and, and I, but I've been in this thing a long time and I've paid my dues. I, I, I've done what I've needed to do for the church and it's not necessary for me to worship and praise the Lord like I used to. Jesus knows that I still love him. And we can get caught up in this mentality, but I want to tell you, no, no, no. Jesus takes any lack of affection seriously. He, he says that any lack of affection for me is a fall. It's a fall. He said, remember, therefore, in verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. And you may say, well, I can understand how perhaps adultery or fornication or, or might be a fall or, or drugs or alcohol. Or we could list numerous sins that could be considered a fall or a backslidden state. But how can just being relaxed in my in my Christianity, and how, how can it be, how can I be fallen if I just lose a little of my intensity and my passion for the Lord? And Jesus, he warns, he says, repent. And what he's, what, in essence, what he's saying, he's saying, I want you to think back. You remember when I, remember when I first saved you? You remember when I filled you with the Holy Ghost and you couldn't wait for Wednesday night church? You couldn't wait to be in church with Sunday morning for the saints of God. Everything that took place in the church, you wanted to be involved with. In reach and outreach, you wanted to teach Sunday school. You wanted to do everything that you could for the Lord. You loved me more than life itself. But now, now you've, you've, you've fallen away from all that. And I get so little of your time now and so little of your tension, attention. And you're growing a little bit cold towards me. Something else has your heart. 
And again, I plead with you this morning to hear me when I say I'm not talking about living a life of sin. I'm not talking about backsliding. I'm talking about we have to ask, where, where is our passion? Where is our desire? Where, where does it rest? Jesus attaches this warning, repent, and he's saying to us, if we claim, if we claim to have this fire of God and, and, and he is no longer the delight of our heart, he said, I'm going to take away a bit of light that you have. He says, no matter what good works you do for me, you're, you won't be my witness. You may be proclaiming my witness, but, but you, won't be, you, you won't be my witness. My, my anointing won't go with you. I won't recognize anything you do because you've lost your first love. Pastor taught a series a long time ago, Keepers of the Flame, and he talked about Eli allowing the flame to go out. And what that flame represents is the power of God, the anointing of God. And when, and when God talks about taking the candlestick or taking the flame, he's talking about taking the presence, taking the anointing. And you may can fool some people for a little while, but if we don't have the anointing of God in whatever we do, whether it's here or beyond these walls, we will not be successful. We can't win souls without the anointing of God. And we've got to understand that until we be in constant pursuit of this anointing, God can't work through us. God can't work... God can't work through a part-time relationship. He's looking for people that are sold out completely. And some may minimize our need for passion. They tell us that our feelings aren't important as long as we're obedient. I'm, I'm following the commandments. I'm doing what the Bible says. But obedience is wonderful. And it's a necessity. But the problem with this definition is that you can do the right thing without loving Jesus very much at all. I know a lot of good people, good people who do good things that do not love the Lord and they will not make heaven. Contrary to popular belief, good people are not going to heaven. If you're not washed in the blood and filled with the Spirit of God, we're, we're not going to make heaven. And we've got a responsibility doing, doing the right things with the with the wrong motives, won't work. A son, Brother Rayleigh, your sons can obey you out of fear. But that doesn't necessarily mean they love you. They're, they're being obedient out of fear. Brother Gibson, you can be a faithful provider. You can be a faithful husband. You can do all the right things in your marriage. But if it's without passion and love, you're shortchanging, Sister Gibson. It, it, it means nothing. And what God is trying to, trying to say to us today, I appreciate all the good things that you're doing. I appreciate you going to church and, and paying your tithes. I commend you. But if you're not loving me with your whole heart, none of that matters. And we've got a responsibility today that we've got to give everything in our heart to God. We can be faithful to this house. Again, we can show up every time the doors are open. We can contribute to missions and we can pay our tithes and we can give to the offering. You can work in the Sunday school. You, you can show up on work days. But if you don't have a passion for Jesus Christ, let me tell you today, you're wasting your time and you're wasting His time. He's looking for people that are passionate 
about him. And I'm thankful for a God that loves me enough. I'm thankful. And why, why do we think that God would be willing to settle for just obedience? He won't. That was not what the cross was about. He paid that price because he loves us so much. And he wants that love and that intimate relationship in return. And I think that we've got to examine ourselves at times and ask the question, and I know it's hard, but is my passion dying? Is my passion dying? Do I really love the Lord with all my heart? There there are many signs and evidence of a dying love for Jesus Christ, but if you allow me this morning, I just want to focus on three because I believe we can measure our love for Jesus by examining ourselves. And I'm doing my best to apply these three in my life. Your love for Jesus Christ is dying if you spend more time on the things of this world and less time in His presence. What holds our heart right now? Does our soul yearn for Jesus or the things of this world? I'm not being disrespectful this morning of all. But in this congregation right now, there are some people that's not even hearing what I'm saying because our minds are clouded. And I'm not casting stones. I I sit in the same position sometimes. Things of life weigh us down. It's hard to leave it at the door. It's hard. But we've got to somehow develop an attitude that whatever it is, when I I come into these gates, I, I want to come with my mind clear and with my heart open, and I want to receive, I want to receive. We get just a few hours a week of this, and we got to take every advantage of it. we got to take every advantage of it. Luke 21, 34 says this. It says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that the day come upon your unawares, for as a snare it shall come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Does anybody know what a snare is? Snare is something that you can't see. Brother Davis can tell you about snares in, in the military. It's something you don't see. You're not expecting it. Every, you're walking along and everything's going okay and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you're attacked and boom, it happens. And before you can realize it, you've lost a foothold and, you, and you've lost where you're at. And, and, and we're having a warning here. You gotta, we've got to watch out for these snares. Number two, you can measure your love for Jesus Christ by how deeply you're affected by anything that robs you of quality time alone with Him. If you can go, let me see how to say this. If you can go about your daily life facing all kinds of interruptions and demands and yet not spend 10 minutes with God, And I'm using 10 minutes just as an example. And don't raise your hand, but I want us to think about how many times has life happened and we've went through the day without spending 10 minutes with the King of Kings. How, how, how many times? I mean, if you think about it, 
If you love someone exclusively above all others, you'll make that person feel like they're the most important person on the earth. Gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about. When you first started courting, even though you hated talking on the phone, when, when she called, you listened. You dropped everything you was doing. Many years ago, there was no subway in Brantford. But my wife loved subway. And whenever she requested, am I telling the truth? Whenever she requested, I said, give me an hour and five minutes and I'll be back from Lake City with a sub. When you love, when you love something that strong, when you love something that strong, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what stands in your way. But we're striving. We're striving. And I, I'm, it's sad to say this today. It's sad to say this. But there are many people in this apostolic faith who go for weeks, even months, without spending time alone with God. You're not, we're, we're not going to make it to heaven with this hour, Sunday and Wednesday being the only time we spend with God. You're, you're, you're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself if you think you can just show up here on Wednesday and Sunday and make heaven. We're, we're fooling ourselves. And I, I, I ask you, how, how often... How often do you hear people testify, oh, I love Jesus with all my heart, but then in their life they go days and days without even speaking with Him. How must, how must Jesus feel when in the mornings, Pastor, He lays that table out for me and there's this buffet and He's just waiting for me. He's waiting for me to come spend this precious time with Him. But I let my life get so busy. And I rush past a moment that I could have really got something. But I was so consumed with life. And, and He's not first. And if He's not first, He gets pushed back. And we've got to understand... What kind of rejection must he feel? We're here today proclaiming we love him. But what kind of project, rejection must he feel when in, when in the morning or tomorrow or Tuesday we don't speak to him at all? I'm talking about passion. And I'm telling us today, if we don't protect it, if we don't protect this passion, Satan is trying to rob us of every minute with him. And I don't care if you're in this house 8 or 80. He's out to get us. He doesn't care if you've lived for God your whole life, if he can get you to give up the last day. That's all he's concerned with. That's all he's concerned with. Number three. Your love for Jesus Christ is dying if you have given in to a besetting sin. And I want you to understand me here. I'm not talking about born-again Christians who are in spiritual warfare and battling things. We all battle things. What I'm talking about is you cannot be effective 
in ministry. And when I use the word ministry, I'm talking about you can't be effective in Sunday school. You can't be effective in outreach. You can't be effective in witnessing if you just give in to something and say, this is the way God made me. He understands that I, I, I have this in my life. That's not going to work with God. That's not going to work with God. We got to get this right. And when we get this right, then he can begin to work through us. You see, he's, he's, he knows what we're facing. And he knows what we're dealing with. And he's here to help us with that. But we can't just give in to it and say, that's the way I am. The world will have to deal with it. And I'm going to go on. You will have no anointing. We'll have no anointing. And we, we can't do this without anointing. Is our love for Jesus Christ exclusive? Do we regularly take quality time to be with him? Or have other things crept into our heart? It can happen so easy in this busy, fast-paced life that we believe. But I, I believe that the Spirit of God stands at, at heaven today in its beckoning. Come back. Come, come, come back. Come back. Don't you remember how, how good it was? I, I have been... For the last few months, and I don't mean to be too open, but I have been praying, God, please give me a passion. Please increase my passion. We've heard preacher after preacher, message after message about the importance of spending time with him. It isn't that we don't know it. It's that we don't do it. And not that we don't do it intentionally. It's just that there are so many barriers that have formed in our life and we've got to remove the barriers, not, not just for ourselves, not just for personal gain. But you see, you can write me off as crazy, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that the church, and I'm not talking about the church united, I'm talking about Hatchbin Apostolic Church. I believe that God has so much He wants to do right here. I believe miracles. I believe families being repaired and, and people being filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe we are strategically... It wasn't by happen chance in 1940 that God planted this church here. He was looking way, way into the 21st century and he could see what was going to transpire here. And what we've got to do as a church is when we reach that point where the presence of God is so strong, we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep pushing. He's, he, he's saying, come on, come on just a little further. And we've got to keep pushing for the presence and the power of God. As our musicians come, the devil is trying to, he's trying so desperately to rob us as a church of being successful. Make no mistake about that. Uh, if you're not feeling it in your prayer life, then I, 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 you need to seek some passion because this church specifically, Hatchpin Apostolic, we are in spiritual warfare. There are some things that God wants to do here and the enemy is fighting and I'm, I'm, I'm pleading now more than ever, we've got to dig in. We've got to dig in and push forward. You know, most of my 
I, I hope this is not too transparent, but, but most of my Christian life, I've been making the same mistake over and over and over. I keep putting my confidence and my good intentions and, and my knowledge of the word, what, whatever little that may be, I, I keep putting all that and somehow I've, I lost sight, Brother Boyd, and I think that I've, I've always thought that that's what produces a love for God. But that, that's, not what, that's not what produces a love for God. Being involved in ministry, uh, doing things for the kingdom, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't produce a love for God. What produces a love for God is when we passionately seek Him. When I hear the words from my Father, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Sister Boyd, it won't be because I was a good follower but that he's a good leader. God is a good leader. And he's, he's, he's begging us. He's begging us as a church. We've, we've got to come back. Some of you see this right now. But there's a wall right here. And I've tried for the last 30 minutes to tear it down because it's easy to sit back. It's so easy to sit back and let me say this we've got to put our confidence and our trust in his ability to lead us let him be the leader and the following will come naturally this subject of passion for him has been piercing my heart and I'm beginning to realize why Passing, robbing barriers, and self-righteousness have been able to consistently get strongholds in my life. I'm not saying we don't need discipline. I'm not saying that we don't need the knowledge of God. I'm not saying that we don't need godly behavior. But I'm saying we can't be passive about passion. We've got to be in pursuit and put our attitude and our confidence in God we've got to do the right things and never put confidence in my ability and I'm guilty of that I put confidence in my ability and Jeremiah warns us in 17 and 9 he says the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it and so if everything ain't in Him and I'm trying to do this on my own. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're trying to have a church on our own, we'll fail. We'll shut the doors in less than six months. 
We can't do it without a passion. We can't do it without a passion. I've come to realize that passion for Jesus Christ, it can't be earned. See, it comes because He gives us gifts. And passion is one of the greatest gifts. It's all right. It's okay if we don't have passion because we can pray for it. James says we have not because we ask not. And we need passion. We can't be passive about acquiring this. We've got to make it a focus. That's why Paul said in Hebrews 12 and 1, and I'm trying to close, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And we all can quote this. Let us lay aside every weight. Now, he, if you'll notice, he first said weight and used sin for later. Because a weight may not be sin. It may not be sin in your life. But if there's something that's keeping us from the presence of God, we've got to remove it. We can accomplish this. I stand here and tell you today that we can accomplish this through the help of the Holy Ghost. When we find ourselves falling in love with Him as we ask God day after day, God, consume me. Consume me with passion. He hates sin. He hates sin. And He loves people. He loves people. And if we can protect our passion, then we will have that same love. And when we love people like Jesus loves people, we want to share this passion and we desire them to experience the power and the presence of God. There's no greater feeling, no greater feeling than the power and the presence of God. I think all the time, Brother Rayleigh refers to it about the priest going into the temple one time, one time a year. And everybody else had to stand outside. We have access to it every day. We're not limited. We're not limited. Whenever we want it, it's here. Every day, He lays it open. Let's stand across this house. I can tell you, and I say this respectfully, but there's something going on in the spirit world right now. And let me tell you what it is. See, God is beckoning some of us right now. He's pulling, He's drawing, but the enemy is saying, well, just let's wait till a later part in the service. And I'm not petitioning for an altar call, but I'm telling you now, if there's something that we need to be drawn to, if there's something that we need to do, don't waste this opportunity. Don't waste this opportunity. God is begging right now. God is pleading with us right now. I know you love me. I know you love me, but I want you to prove your love to me 
with your passion. I want you to come back to your first love to me one more time. How we need you, Jesus. How we need you, Jesus. How we need you, Jesus. How we need you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.